Greetings and welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast with your hosts, Ray and Mark. In this episode, your intrepid hosts sit down with Professor Mike and talk about the illusion of reality. You know, reality can be a tricky thing. The other day I saw myself naked in the mirror. The first thought that came to mind is that, great, this is another IKEA store I'm going to be banned from. Welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast with Ray and Mark. I'm Ray. I'd be Mark. And uh, we had the opportunity a week ago to interview uh, one of our, our, our favorite uh, recurring guests on the podcast, uh, Professor Mike, where we had a discussion about reality and what is reality, what's real, what's not real. Yeah, the illusion of reality. Right. Uh, is, is perception reality, or does it go beyond that? Is reality subjective, or is it objective? And, and what's interesting there is the whole idea of we perceive reality through our senses. And now our senses are perfectly evolved for us to hunt and gather and survive. But it, are our senses perfectly attuned to pick up all versions of reality? And I think through our discussion, we're going to find out the answer is really no. We actually pick up a small part of what's all around us. So it's a deeper dive into this great question. Right. We, we perceive only a small part of uh, the, the whole spectrum of energy that's out there, but uh, only that which is most critical to our survival. Uh, but there's a whole world of stuff out there that, uh, that even some animals experience that we can't. And uh, it was an interesting discussion, and here's how it went. All right. Let's see if we can get through this thing. Uh, okay. Stop, stop delaying, Ray. All right, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. Joining us tonight for a special live podcast uh, dun, here dun, 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 dun. in the podcast studio is Professor Mike. Yay. Hey, Mike. <laughs> hey. Hey, Ray. Wait for it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, oh. There it is. There it is. <laughs> oh, my God. And, I'll uh, take famous flanges for 50. <laughs> <laughs> the flying fickled finger of fate. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so what are we talking about tonight? <laughs> tonight we're talking about reality. Or the illusion uh, of reality. Yeah. Well, it could be, well that, that, that's the question. Okay. Um, I'll have the rapist for 200. <laughs> that's therapist. <laughs> <laughs> take that, Trebek. That's what your mother said, Trebek. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, this is I'll uh, take whore ads for 50. <laughs> That's who reads. <laughs> We're never going to get through this. Oh, What's fun? This is filler. <laughs> All right. So, um the the question of reality is is certainly not something that uh that is new uh and, you know, um there's been a resurgence with 
with uh, with string theory and quantum physics, uh, but it's a, it's an ancient question and one of the first uh, really well known. Uh, approaches to this was the the cave allegory by plato where he said essentially we're we're chained in a cave looking at a blank wall and all we see are shadows of what's outside in uh, paul's letter first corinthians which chapter 13 which a lot of people know from the you know faith hope and love thing um the the, the next line right after that is we now see in a mirror dimly uh which i'm sure you know being part of the hellenistic world that they'd understand what that meant uh, so the, the question about, about reality isn't so much what's real and what isn't real. It's how do we know what's real and isn't real and where, where does perception take us and how much do we know through perception only and what's real beyond perception? So I'm going to just throw that over to you, Mike. What do oh, you think? Oh my God, <laughs> this pressure. Um, wow. Well, um, one thing I, I always tell my, my students is uh, we have no idea what reality is. And, of course, they say, oh, no, no. But I say, look, you know, um, all of, our, all of our, uh, our knowledge of the world is empirically derived. So, you know, we think we see color. So right now you're wearing a, a dark blue shirt, but there's no such thing as dark blue, intrinsically dark blue. There's light waves, mm-hmm. so we perceive light waves. And because our brains all evolved in the same way, we agree that it's blue, but it's simply a, a, a construction of the brain. You know, it's, it's not real. I mean, you can do the same thing with speed, you know, 30 miles an hour. Uh, but there's no such thing as 30 miles an hour uh, intrinsically 30 miles an hour because the earth is moving, it's revolving around the sun, it's rotating, the galaxy's moving, et cetera, et cetera. So speed is is not real. It's a construct of the brain as we understand it. And you do the same thing with uh, distance, space, everything. So if you could see reality for what it is, um, what would it be? You know, sightless, colorless, soundless, it sounds another one, uh, it would be boring, which is itself a construct of the brain. So we don't know what reality is, and that's demonstrably true. So that really gets their attention, you know, right off. We don't really see reality for what it is. Right. Even on a basic level, uh, when you look at something, it's actually projected on your retina upside down. Yes. Uh, So you're already processing it before you even start to make judgments about it that's right i think it all starts with perception because we're evolved to be hunter gatherers so we have depth perception and we have all the survival skills we need to live long enough in the wild to reproduce but that's not necessarily a good sensory uh preparation mm-hmm. to uh, be able to gauge what reality is because what what were you saying mike about um how much of the you know, universe or how much a reality your senses can actually pick up. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there's like an, an infinite number of uh, uh, light waves, uh, and yet our brains have only evolved to process a very narrow range. Uh, and it's the same with sound. Is it like 4%, like 90%, 96% of the information out there? Yeah, like 4%. I forget the exact percentages, but I think it's 4%. We're we're evolved to perceive atomic matter, and only four percent of what we see in the world around us is atomic matter. The rest uh, 
a much larger percentage, I think it's in the, the 30s, um, is uh, uh, dark matter, uh, which you can't perceive. You only intuit that it's there because of the effect it has on atomic matter. And then the majority of everything is dark energy, which connects everything. So space is an illusion. There's no space. It's, uh, you know, connected with dark energy. Um, so, but the thing that's interesting to me, I'm reading this book that I will never finish for two reasons. One, I don't have time. And two, I'm not smart enough to understand it. It's a book by a guy named Donald Hoffman called The Case Against Reality. And his, his argument is that, uh, and it's, it's, it's true, it's not like it's a, his point of view, that we, um, uh, we have this wrong view of uh, evolution, that we evolved successfully, we are where we are because we perceive reality more clearly, more accurately um, than whatever forces uh, or entities that didn't. We're, we are the proof that we perceive reality accurately. When he says it's not true, uh, that we evolved based upon uh, seeing reality from what he calls uh, fitness payoffs, mm-hmm. that we evolved uh, only to uh, appreciate those things that propelled us past childbearing years. Uh, so evolution is correct, but... Um, but, I mean, I see you from across the room only insofar as that part of you that relates to my survival. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't see your feelings. I don't see your bloodstream. I don't see your thoughts. I don't see. Uh, and, well, say, well, of course you can't. Well, why not? I mean, we only perceive the part of reality that propelled us past uh, the age of. And, and he has this all very uh, uh, laid out in ways that are very empirically clear you know scientific so mm-hmm. so a deer as a grazing animal it really doesn't have much in the way of depth perception doesn't need it so a deer's reality would say there really isn't depth to things which is why they don't fare well on the highway um but it's like we we look at the stars with human eyes so uh, we can't pick up uh, infrared waves radio waves x-rays but once you see one of these space telescopes that's programmed to pick up that stuff, space becomes really colorful. And there's articles now about these uh, space structures. Did you read that? Yeah, I saw you know, that. But they're like, like almost like gas clouds that connect planets, and they're through space structures. And um, some some planets have rings, but we can't see them. But they're there, uh, so they're they're reality. Um, uh, you know, the other thing is, you know, eyes can't perceive uh light waves that are very faint um and we refocus like every 15 seconds and so once you have these cameras that are wide open over long periods of time you can see other galaxies Uh, we would look and say they're not there but they are there the the problem all starts with our perceptions they're very limiting i mean it's been clear for you know a long time that, that the things that we accept as objective truth because we perceive it to be that way, is not. Euclidean geometry is taken as factual, and yet it isn't. I mean, space is curved. There's no such thing as a straight line. Back here on Earth, functionally, practically speaking, there's a straight line, but it's actually not straight. So there's no such thing as a, as a, as a right angle. You know? mm-hmm. We have to, I'm thinking of Plato, we have to live as though 
it's real. We have to take it seriously. And that's, you know, Plato, when he um, was looking at reality, so as two different things, the reality of Parmenides, who said there's no birth, there's no death, and the reality of Heraclitus, that said there was nothing but change. So he had to reconcile the two. So he came up with a dual concept of reality. So there's the, the temporal mode of existence. Uh, we have to take it seriously. We just shouldn't take it literally. And that's Plato, who said that uh, there's another plane of existence, you know, uh, the intelligible realm, mm-hmm. um, the world of the forms. Mike, could you just uh, just move your mic in just a little bit? Just yeah, swing it in like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I, could, I could sing if you like. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. Nothing more than feeling. <laughs> my lady love. <laughs> Not too bad. Too bad I'd be pressing my button night tracks. <laughs> That's it. Night tracks. On KZK5. <laughs> the Professor Mike Show. Yeah. <laughs> I think some of the reading I did that I found fascinating that gets into different theories of reality, but all the quantum physics stuff. It's it's amazing where they talk about uh, the Copenhagen interpretation, uh, but that's that's the one that actually talks about when you're looking at different particles and how they move, they will move differently if they're being observed than if they're yeah. not being observed. Yeah. I mean that that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, quantum again, which I don't understand. Obviously, um, I like people to think I do, but it changes everything that we thought was true, uh, everything. Um, so you know. Who knows how we will look at reality a uh, hundred years from now, but it will not bear any resemblance to the way we see it now. Um, safe to say. Yeah, I, I was telling Mike the thing I saw that I just thought was amazing in terms of potential and how you can view the universe. Um, but quantum entanglement, mm-hmm. you read yeah, that? Yes. Yeah. That was amazing. That, yeah. and, and I guess the whole idea is if you know particles intersect, they take on the same properties of each other. So no matter how far away they are from each other, if you change the rotation of the electrons around one particle, wherever the second one is, the electrons will start rotating in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that could be across light years and then and then people say wouldn't that violate Einstein's theory that nothing can move faster than the speed of light? And the answer is it's not moving faster than the speed of light. It's connected mm-hmm. by energy. Yeah. All energy is connected. Right. There's even a theory where there's only one electron in the entire universe and it's just everywhere all at once oh my gosh yeah wow um but researchers also observe the same kind of thing apparently in living cells i was reading you know they they keep referring to a well-known experiment but where they take like a petri dish with an algae colony in it and they split it in two and they move one algae one half of the algae colony into a different lab if you electronically stimulate one colony, the other one starts scrambling. And that goes into the whole theory that if you're connected by energy, you remain connected. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking if that's the case, if, if, we, if we impart our energy um, and you can't destroy energy, it just changes form, mm-hmm. you know, because we're doing this podcast, are we entangled, which means that once the carbon-based units keel over and we just get released into the atmosphere, is it sort of like I run into Ray, pull my finger? <laughs> yeah. you know, because we still know each other out there. It's just different. Yeah. yeah. 
So, I mean, the, the other way of looking at reality is, is more the, the, you know, Thomistic view that, uh, you know, nothing is in the, the intellect, which is, isn't first in the senses. But there's an awful lot of stuff we seem to know about that we don't experience directly, like some of the things you were talking about, uh, subatomic particles and mm-hmm. dark matter. And, uh, most of that stuff seems pretty real. Mm-hmm. So I guess you really can't leave it just to your senses. Which makes me wonder how Thomas Aquinas could even talk about God at that point, because do you experience God in your senses directly? Hmm. Well, um, I mean, Thomas was looking to explain, uh, first of all, reconcile science and religion. And he wanted to, like his arguments for the existence of God, he was like this, which we don't really uh, take too seriously in these days. But he simply took Aristotle and um, looking for an intellectual superstructure to his theological positions Mm -hmm. and took Aristotle. So he poured these religious uh, ideas into Aristotelian categories of thought. It was a very contrived way. Yeah, it doesn't work very well. No, well, it doesn't to our modern, but that's what philosophy does. It explains um, to an era uh, in a language they speak um, the answers to the primordial questions. And time changes, and like Thomas doesn't work well at all. But it worked for the Catholic Church because it sustained Christendom for 1,700 years, so it worked pretty well. But it doesn't really work in this post-existential time in which we're living. Mm Mm-hmm. But the Catholic Church still clings to it pretty tenaciously. If we have a limited view of reality, then what do we know about God, which is even more tenuous than reality, possibly? Uh, how do we reconcile that? Is God knowable? Is God, you know, can God be known? Is God even knowable? Well, I think what's, what we've gravitated toward is more the first century Jewish notion of God rather than the one we've inherited. We are progeny of the Greeks. You know, God is the supreme being, you know, but um, like we're giving God the ultimate compliment, the supreme being, mm-hmm. when still we're confining God to this puny universe of being. And the Hindus would say, you know, God is beyond being, or as Tillich said, God is the ground of being. Uh, so if you approach God, you know, that way, it's knowable. I, mm-hmm. Having my fingers do uh, artificial quotes doesn't help much in a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but um, to, to, to know God that way is is very knowable. I mean, it simply is not um, definitive and doesn't lend itself to a, a definition or a description or a, a position in a, a tenet of faith, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like... Um, it brings Christianity and you know Buddhism very much in the same uh, kind of discussion, I think. Yeah. And as I was talking to Mike, I mean, the, the way I looked at it was uh, sort of like if you look at Franciscan spirituality, you know, where I have a spark, you have a spark, and, you know, nature has a spark, the trees, the animals, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then you bring it into what I was reading about, you know, quantum entanglement, and and maybe it's all energy is connected. And at the end of the day, all you have in the universe is information and energy. And the question is, how much can you be aware of? I've heard of uh, some people talk about that universal energy as a universal consciousness. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking back in the first century, if you really had somebody who got the spirituality end of it, how would you begin to explain that to anyone? 
And would that be the beginning of the the myths, the parables, to try to convey that sort of universal connectiveness? Mm-hmm. So maybe that's how we know the concept of God, possibly. Yeah, well, that's just kind of a Buddhist thing, you know, the, the Buddha consciousness. You're, you're yeah. born out of that, and you eventually return to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's not at odds with... Uh, with uh, Christian theology, as as I understand it, at all, I and mean, Buddhism and Christianity really, you know, line up. I was listening to a Joseph Campbell argument where he was saying that uh, talking about getting older, which is something that every once in a while I think about. Um, he said, smiling, um, <laughs> but um, that we tend to see ourselves as uh, you know light bulbs, uh, where we confuse the light with the vehicle that transports the light so as we get older things start coming unglued you know the uh it's like an old car you know the the fender falls off you know there there goes the tires you know so you get to the point where uh, are you the vehicle the light bulb or are you the consciousness that it's that it's carrying um, and then when you die, finally, the consciousness returns to the universal consciousness. Mm-hmm. So consciousness is really all that there is, which is very, to my way of thinking, very, very Christian. You know, the, the, the spirit of God is, uh, is in me. Um, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's in the world. Uh, the kingdom of, of God is, um, is spread out upon the earth. We just don't see it. I find that so much more satisfying than in than what I was brought up with, like yep, the too. Baltimore yep. Catechism. Yeah, you know, absolutely. it's heaven or hell, and you know, that, that, yeah. that's what you're, and, you're looking forward to. And the conversation Mike and I have had going for, for years, because I've been a pet project, <laughs> my, my struggle <laughs> for faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just the idea of uh, it's human nature to want to try to connect with the transcendent. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that makes us want to do that? And I think, I think you refer to it as a, almost like a, you know, a homing device. You know, we're trying to reconnect with something we're, you know, we're alienated from, mm-hmm. you know, and you, when you get into that uh, universal energy thing, it makes sense. That's where the homing device comes it's from. It's profoundly you know, Christian that, that we are estranged by virtue of our human nature. And what heals the estrangement is faith, trust. So, you know, it's very, very consistent with that. It's very cool stuff. It is. And useful, and it resonates. I think so. Well, there's also the kind of gaining some traction as people saying that this could just be a simulation, and there's evidence they say to support that we're just all living in a simulation. I I don't get that Sponsored at all. Sponsored by Nintendo like, or yeah. something. I don't Sounds get like it. Descartes, you know, the the mad scientist in the lab. You know, yeah, the evil genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> we get into that. You get into all the uh, theories of multiple dimensions. You know, it just becomes fascinating. I mean the. The net result for me is if our if, if we trust our senses so uh, completely to govern our actions, um, it, it should make people pretty modest. And when you realize you're only seeing four percent of what's out there, you can't see ninety six. How do you how do you wag your finger at somebody mm-hmm. when you're only seeing four percent of what's going on? Mm-hmm. It should be pretty humbling, right? Yeah. We all had to take, uh, you know, logic and epistemology and, and metaphysics in college. That's we all went to the same college, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the, that stuff was just very unsatisfying, especially in the metaphysics stuff. You know, the, the proofs of God and things like that. Mm-hmm. God exists because He must exist. You know, the, the ontological argument. How, how stuff. can He be all powerful if He didn't well, exist? We, we are we are the progeny of the, the Greek world. You know, where um, it's like uh, humans 
are driven to consolate reality in a way that makes sense to them. And so uh, religion did it 5,000 years ago, Hinduism, you know, and Buddhism. But the Greeks were doing the same thing. They are trying to understand reality. Uh, and they did it through the lens of story, just like, just like um, religion did, only it was uh, through logic and reason. Mm-hmm. And we are the progeny of that. So we tend to need things to make sense. So we have dictionaries that we never question. But what's a dictionary? A dictionary looks at something, it abstracts it out of the reality of which it comes, and we begin with um, um, its most general point. And then we narrow, like a chair. What's a chair? A chair is a place to put your butt. Uh, but it can be this, and it's that, and it's a piece of furniture, and it's beautiful. And it's and finally, we get around to the chair you're sitting on. Mm-hmm. You know, That's a very Greek understanding of things. It's not the way they understood reality in first century Palestine. Right. Um, it just wasn't that way. Yeah, it's know? pretty much, uh, it's a consensus process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But th- so so when we studied philosophy in, in, in college, um, all of it was uh, a consequence of the Greek tradition. So when you mentioned um, proofs to the existence of God, you know, ontology, that very word is... Um, you know, Greek in its origin, mm-hmm. you know, and being, notions of being, that's strictly Greek, 5th century, you know, um, not Jewish. And because of the post-existential world that we're living in, the 1st the century way is makes much more sense to us. Very cool. Is reality an illusion? We don't know. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. Yeah. I, th- I think it's neat that everything is perfectly evolved to survive and we're about the only critter who can see beyond our own perceptions it may be limited but we're doing what deer can't do that's something yeah the one thing i I really stopped believing in is we are the most highly evolved entities i think um we're rational and but who's to say that's more sophisticated than uh than my dog Crosby, you know, who has instincts that I don't have and I can't relate to. He knows somebody's coming up the stairs before I hear anything. Is that simply auditory advantages or does he sense it? Um, um, A flower, a carrot is a perfectly evolved entity. I just no longer believe that that we're, because we're at the top of the food chain, that we're the highest evolved uh, being. I really don't. And again, it's the the business of this rational, uh, we highly tout the mind uh, as being superior but the mind um, uh, coexists with other parts of us you know the body um, and mythology uh, which I'll be talking about in my course coming up the archetypal myths are attempts to bring the mind into accord with the rest of us mm-hmm. you know we abstract it out as though it's superior and it isn't you know it isn't look what it's doing to the world you know Right. Look, look how messed up everything is. We never get answers. We never arrive at that point that we say we, that we purport to want, which is safety, security, justice, you know, all these kinds of things. They are elusive by definition. We'll never get there, you know. I don't know. I'm really rambling now, but I just don't think about it the way that I used to. Mm-hmm. I don't feel myself to be a superior life form. The metrics you know, are all very self-serving, I think. 
So maybe reality is not an illusion, but if you think it's limited to what your senses are, that's the illusion. Yeah, the sense knowledge, I mean, empirically, it's demonstrably unreliable. I mean, everything is, is a construct of the brain. David Eagleman is a guy who wrote this great book called uh, Incognito, uh, The Secret Life of the Brain. He's a brain dude. He's not a philosopher. Mm -hmm. But he basically points out that empirical knowledge is uh, uh, it's, it's good for the world we live in, but it's not real. There's no such thing as speed, objectively, color, sound, anything. It's all illusory. Mm -hmm. The biggest fascinating point for me as I circle back on the same stuff, is just the idea of just the concept that we could be all part of the same energy. Right. That's fascinating what that opens up, the possibilities. Very Buddhist, too. Yeah. You know? yeah. I but mean, the, what, like I was telling Mike when I was reading about quantum entanglement, you know, it's like if, if you think you have some kind of connection with like a departed relative in that context, is it so bizarre? Maybe not, maybe not at all. Maybe it's almost a quasi-scientific explanation for some of it it really opens a lot of doors well if, if there's anything to uh, quantum uh, uh, theory the odds of there being uh, parallel universes is almost a, a given because in an infinite uh, universe all possibilities are inevitabilities so if there's parallel universes and there's other marks you know out there uh, and not out there they're right here and they made different life choices and you know Somewhere there's a... How lucky a, are those dimensions? Somewhere yeah. there's a, a Michael Rivers who, who made different life choices, and I hope he's freaking enjoying it because <laughs> I'm stuck with <laughs> this catastrophic existence. No. Uh, but, I mean, all these things are, are true, and they, and they are very humbling. Uh, but Buddhism just believes in the universal consciousness that the difference between you and everyone else is is illusory it's all we're all we're all one we're all the same part of the same consciousness so so just let go of worries of attachments you know that that simply reinforce this illusion of individuality i'm hungry I'm unhappy, I'm lonely, I'm, it's all, you know, I, 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 when I, I is illusory. I think our conversation was absolutely fascinating. Uh, and what it really left me with were a couple of uh, key takeaways. First, the importance of humility in all things. I mean, how judgmental can we get when we only pick up 4% of the reality around us. I mean, what we don't know so outstretches what we do know. Uh, it seems to me humility would be a, a smart byword. But also, the other interesting thing, when we start talking about quantum entanglement and how we all may be interrelated in the same ribbon of energy, we always think of science being very separate and distinct from spirituality, like the two are mutually exclusive. But in our discussion of quantum entanglement, I really started wondering, is it possible that if you really follow science to its extremes, it will drop you off at the doorway of spirituality? And, and that's just a mind blower, I think. But great discussion. It is. And, you know, that makes me feel really optimistic uh, that maybe, you know, that the connectivity between people, between people and objects, uh, between everything in what we perceive as reality, 
it is baked into the fabric of the universe. We can't help but be connected. And, and things are connected in, in complex ways we don't even comprehend. Uh, and it, it could explain a lot of things that we experience. Right. And, and as we discussed, it might also touch on things like our favorite topic, ghosts. Um, if your energy is entangled with that of a departed loved one, and if you can't destroy energy, it only changes form. Um, is it that wild to think that on some level that connection remains? Mm -hmm. I mean, it just opens up so much. We've talked about religion in, in previous podcasts where we're talking about you can explain some similarities in different religions when they fall on the same trade routes and things like that. But when you're half a planet away from each other outside the trade routes, and you still see these general themes. What is that? Is it possible, Mike's term for it was, is it possible we have some kind of embedded homing device that keeps us connected with where we came from? Mm -hmm. And in a weird way, quantum entanglement might be that homing device. Right. Carl Jung uh, had a concept that he called the collective unconscious, which which touches on those issues where he said that, you know, uh, societies all across the planet at different times um, have like this knowledge pool, even though it's not passed on directly. It's something we just know from our shared human experience that somehow is available to everybody. Uh, and that would certainly um fit in with the whole entanglement uh interconnected fabric idea of uh of reality it would and i think it was a great podcast because i came away from it changed well literally changed i mean reading this was just incredible mm -hmm. um i think I think I got so much out of it that even Mike was looking at me as the RCA Victor dog look. <laughs> yes. So it's like either I'm smoking crack or I'm seeing some possible connections here. Right. <laughs> so, but it was fun. Very good yeah, time. It was great. Good yeah. discussion. You've been listening to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast. Join us again as we discuss things that really matter. Choose your next witticism carefully, Mr. Bond. It may be your last. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for that. <laughs> I knew you missed the bell. I love the bell.